Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I got to change the oil in my car. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic with an STP Extended Life Oil Filter for only $36.99. What do I do with my old oil? We can recycle your used oil for free. And do you have oil for my old work truck? You can find the right high mileage oil to help it go farther right here at AutoZone. AutoZone. Restrictions apply. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. When the vision itself came to me, it was the culmination of an, an accumulation of learnings over my lifetime, you might say. At first I thought, well, why am I being given this vision? Surely there are others more worthy of being burdened with the gift of child honoring as a philosophy. I'm Chris Garcia, and this is Finding Rafi, a 10-part series from iHeartRadio and Fatherly in partnership with Rococo Punch about the life, philosophy, and the work of Rafi, the man behind the music. One morning in 1996, Rafi says he woke up from a deep sleep with a vision, two words suspended in midair. Child honoring. I knew in that luminous moment that I was being given something that would be the work of the rest of my life. I knew in that moment that it was a unique social change revolution that connects person, culture, and planet, an integrated philosophy for restoring communities and restoring the earth. Everything in Rafi's mind seems to come down to child honoring. It came up over and over again in our conversations. Basically, it's his philosophy for saving the planet by putting children first. It eventually became a book and an online course. And Rafi was selling it to me pretty hard. And one way you can deepen your connection with the beautiful words that you might read and wonder, how might I practice this in my own family, 
is you would take the online course in Child Honoring that my Rafi Foundation offers for a re very reasonable price on my dad. <laughs> I took the bait. Rafi's philosophy covers a lot. He asks us to consider so many different concepts with children in mind, from the way we grow our food to how we measure economic progress. He paints a picture of a utopian world full of farmers markets, parents volunteering with their kids, and pesticide-free parks. I found it hard to know where I'm supposed to step in, both as a person and as a parent. See, and reading it, it made me think a lot about privilege because it's, there's so much pressure on parents to make sure they're doing everything just perfectly, reading the right books, having the right toys. But at the end of the day, it's about survival and love, and not everyone has the means to curate uh, the perfect bubble for their child. There's no such thing as perfect parenting. So let's just put that out of our minds. All parents in their various situations, some are having a tough time month after month making ends meet. You know, everybody's got different pressures, different challenges, and also different rewards, you know. But we're all doing our best. And the point of conscious parenting is to be conscious of how we are parenting, how we were parented, what that instilled in us that might be passed on to our children. So it's a call to conscious living. Rafi's child-honoring vision might sound a little esoteric, but I have to give the guy credit. He knows when and who to ask for help. He called up the top thinkers in environmental health, education, business, in psychology, you name it, to test his ideas and shape his philosophy. I would like to think that before I met Rafi, I was doing child-honoring work. This is Dr. Sharna Olfman, a Canadian expat living in Pittsburgh. She co-wrote Rafi's child-honoring book and happens to be a leading expert in developmental psychology. One of the many reasons I'm excited to talk to you um, today is because you're an expert in all of this, and I am a sponge that wants to soak in all this knowledge with you. Well, I want to be really clear that the child-honoring philosophy is Rafi's philosophy. But we're part of this community. The solutions require the work and the ideas of people in many, many different professions. In her book series called Childhood in America, Sharna writes about some controversial educational reforms that she believed were harming our children. And Rafi was all about it. What were you trying to communicate to the world at that time? There were kind of a confluence events that led to the creation of that book. So maybe it would help to unpack that a little bit. If you were in preschool in the 90s, you most likely spent your days playing with Gak and sitting on a carpet square singing Barney songs. It was pretty chill. Playtime was the popular curriculum. Then flash forward to 2002. Former President George W. Bush had just passed the highly criticized No Child Left Behind Act, and suddenly schools became very test-driven, meaning preschool kids spent more time sitting at their desks taking tests than they did outside learning how to play. As a clinical psychologist, I was aware of this 
very big upsurge in the number of children who are being diagnosed with attention deficit disorder and who are also being prescribed stimulants. So there were like one in 10 kids being prescribed Ritalin. There were these kind of formal preschool settings. And also there was this uptick in play getting translated to screen time. At the time, my son had just lost a person that was very, very important to him. And it was a very, very traumatic event for my son. So I'm looking at all of these different trends and I'm thinking about my child and I'm thinking that these preschool settings don't feel right for him. This was how I felt as a parent, but it is also how I felt as a developmental psychologist. If you take a bunch of kids and you sit them at desks when they're meant to be playing creatively, and then, you know, they spend their leisure time in front of screens, it's going to create some developmental issues. I look back and I think about my childhood, and I was a very energetic boy that sat in a desk in a Catholic school all day and then watched TV at night. And I think my teachers and then my parents thought that I was just a bad student or incapable of learning. I ended up going to UC Berkeley, one of the best colleges in in the world. But I stumbled out of the gates because I don't think I was meant to sit in a chair and then watch uh, The Simpsons all night afterwards. In my own head, I almost saw myself as a bad student, even though I wasn't, because I just couldn't participate in that environment. Absolutely. And then those labels risk sort of becoming self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, the, the issue isn't that you can't get there from a less than optimal beginning, but why make it so hard? Um, should I be paying you for this session? I mean, is this uh, become a therapy session now? I feel like I feel so much. I'm like, you're right. It, you know, it wasn't my fault. And if only that would have happened, I figured it out. But, you know, I shouldn't I shouldn't have had to. Um, can you tell me about the first time you met Rafi? So, you know, Rafi heard about my work and Rafi was kind enough to fly out to Pittsburgh and he uh, met me at my home. At the time, Sharna's kids were six and nine years old, prime Rafi years. So when we finished our meeting, Rafi grabbed a banana from my kitchen, (laughs) put it to his ear and his mouth like he was holding a banana phone from (laughs) just like the cover art on his famous banana phone uh, album. And he greeted the kids and he talked to them through the banana. (laughs) It was just a really wonderful a first meeting and my kids just were enthralled. Ring, 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 banana phone. Ying, yang, yin, yang, yin, yang, ying, banana phone. It's a real life mama and papa phone, a brother and sister and a dog a phone, a grandpa phone and a grandma phone too. Oh yeah, my cellular. Rafi saw something in Sharna's work that he'd been trying to articulate for the last several years. How we treat our children is the key to building a sustainable world. A few months after their first meeting, Rafi flies Sharna, 
her husband Dan, and their two young children out to his home on a small island off the coast of Vancouver. And I like to say we were living the child-honoring life. You know, it really was a, a beautiful, idyllic two weeks. Main Island is this beautiful island off the coast of British Columbia, surrounded by the Pacific Ocean. We timed the visit to coincide with this amazing nature camp that was taking place that my kids were able to participate in. And it was such a magical camp, wooded, beautiful, and the kids spent all day, every day in nature, tromping around the woods, splashing around in the ocean, collecting uh, shells and putting on little plays, etc. Evenings, he would often join us for dinner and we would spend hours talking about how to make the world a better place for children. I think that Rafi took me more deeply into my awareness of you know, issues like global warming and soil health, etc. Yeah, it was absolutely a pivotal experience for me. And it was just a wonderful way to kind of launch the work that we did together over the course of the uh, next couple of years, bringing the book to fruition. What would you say is, was the vision or the goal for this book? So the child-honoring philosophy is both uh, profound and elegant, I would say, in its simplicity. But I would say that probably the first impulse for Rafi in creating the child-honoring philosophy was his concern about the health of the physical planet. You know, his concern about global warming, his concern about water, air, soil, you know, at the core, we're literally killing our children's home. We're killing their planet. And if we want to turn this ship around and we want to create a healthy planet and a healthy world, not in which children can survive, but in which they can fully thrive and fully self-actualize, then all of us need to lead with the question, is what I'm doing, what I'm saying, how I'm acting in the best interests of the young child? So I would like to say that the child-honoring philosophy could also be thought of as a value. When we lead with that value, then we create a world that is fit for children. When we don't, we end up with a dying planet and kids who are eating junk food and getting sick and not thriving and feeling like they can't find a place for themselves in the world. It's putting kids first and their well-being, and by doing that, everything will fall in place. Exactly. So sometimes we get, like, blinders even when we're working. Oh, it's all about the soil health. It's all about legislation. It's all about education. It's all about mental health. No, it's all about all of these things because they all are integrated and they're all interdependent, and that's the child-honoring philosophy, understanding that it's not just one issue, but it's all of the above. I mean, it, it's, we're, yeah, I, I'm just taking a moment to sure. absorb all this. <laughs> it's a lot. 
If I sound hesitant, it's not that I disagree with any one aspect of this philosophy or what it hopes to do, but like, how am I supposed to meet a tiny human's most basic needs 24 hours a day while also considering how my every action impacts the world she's inheriting? I mean, from my vantage point, it's a lot for a new parent to take in because you're talking about humongous systemic issues. Because I have to admit, doctor, I started when we knew we were having a child, I jumped in. I was I was reading so much. And then you have a child and you become a zombie for about three months. And then you crawl out, you, th- you come out of the thaw, and then you no longer have time to read or understand anything. How do I take this in? Where do I step in? Help me out here. That's a really, really good question. Ironically, in the effort to curate that perfect bubble, sometimes parents are moving their kids away from what they need most. We want children's creativity to come from within. Like, go on a nature trail. It's free. There's nothing better, you know. But at the end of the day, what your child needs from you is your love and your time. And everything else is optional. I love allowing that space for leniency because so many of these philosophies are incredible in theory, but in practical application, are they even possible? Right. So I think the idea is they're aspirational, but we do what is healthiest for the family system. I don't know if we have a system. It's more of a putting out fires than a saving the world kind of thing. Honestly, we're just trying to make it to bedtime. And my parents didn't have much of a system either. As I've said before, they both had difficult upbringings, lived under an oppressive regime, and, as immigrants, moved to an unfamiliar country where they didn't speak the language or have much support. One of the unintended consequences that affected how they raised me was anxiety. For example, my parents' food insecurity growing up poor in Cuba translated to overfeeding me and rushing through mealtimes. I still eat like the secret police is gonna take my plate away. And though I've been fortunate enough to not have to flee my homeland, I don't wanna mirror my anxieties about the world directly onto Sunny. You know, while I have you here, um, I just, I, something I think about a lot recently, I'm the first American-born son of Cuban refugees. And um, so one thing I think about a lot is inherited family trauma, generational trauma, as people talk about these days. How something that happened to, say, my great-great-grandpa affects me today and uh, how it may have affected my, uh, the rest of my family, either uh, physically or emotionally or something like that, how do I avoid passing that trauma down to my daughter, to Sunny? I think a common mistake is for the pendulum to swing so far the other way. Like, I'm not going to do it that way because that's, you know, or I'm working from a place of fear, and so I'm going to do the diametric opposite, which is also not always the best way to go about it. So... First is consciousness, 
so that we can think through our choices and how they affect us and what triggers us. And knowing that your daughter will carry less of that trauma and will have other opportunities because you are doing the work of trying to understand. Yeah, I don't know if anyone in my family's ever had almost the privilege to think about this. You know, they've, they've just been trying to survive. And then, um, you know, these cycles, they're vicious and they just almost automatically happen unless you take a moment to acknowledge it, become aware. Absolutely. I would agree with that. And, you know, a conversation that Rafi and I had on more than one occasion was, you know, the difference between being child-centered and always putting child at the center of everything. You want to give your children to the best of your ability with the means at hand, living in this very imperfect world that we live in, the best opportunity to meet their developmental needs. But at the same time, you don't want to raise a child who feels that they are at the center of the universe and only their needs matter. So part of being a child-honoring parent is honoring yourself and honoring your needs and honoring your wellness so that children also grow up to understand that they are part of a family system. Well, doctor, this has been so helpful. Um, should we just pencil in one of these for next week as well? And then uh, <laughs> we could just make this a regular thing because this I would has enjoy been, that. <laughs> it's just been so lovely. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for talking to me today. You're very, very welcome. And I can see with great clarity that you are a child-honoring parent and that uh, Sonny's very lucky to have you as a father. And it's been a pleasure um, speaking with you. Has developing the child-honoring philosophy been healing to you in a similar way? Like, do you feel like it allows you to kind of break the cycle of past traumas or, or heal part of you? Well, I imagine it has been that way for me. I think what uh, child honoring has also given me is a window into the truth of how we live and how we become our true selves. It's like, when you discover, you know, the foundational experience of what it feels to be human as being in those early years, well, you want to shout it from the rooftops. You want to say, hey, it's not just the university degree. In fact, more importantly, it's how we raise these impressionable, vulnerable, susceptible people. We just want to co-create a world that doesn't inflict so much trauma honest children. That's what we want. We want to create a child-honoring world. And that is my deepest passion. Next time on Finding Rafi, we dive into how one family made sure their daughter was always seen and heard for who she really was. Their parenting journey is Rafi's philosophy come to life. Radical, 
disruptive, and child-rearing like few in the West have experienced. This is what child-honoring really looks like. But does it work? My parents did this crazy thing. They sacrificed so much financially, emotionally, whatever. They made this amazing thing. And oh boy, I better turn out well. I'm the one uh, as an example of, look, I turned out like this, so that means it works. Finding Rafi is a production of iHeartRadio and Fatherly in partnership with Rococo Punch. It's produced by Catherine Fenelosa, Meredith Honig, and James Trout. Production assistance from Charlotte Livingston. Alex French is our story consultant. Our senior producer is Andrea Aswahe. Emily Foreman is our editor. Fact-checking by Andrea Lopez Cruzado. Rafi's music is courtesy of Troubadour Music. Special thanks to Kim Layton at Troubadour. Our executive producers are Jessica Alpert and John Parati at Rococo Punch, Ty Trimble, Mike Rothman, and Jeff Eisenman at Fatherly, and me, Chris Garcia. Thank you for listening.